this is Chris. Hope you're doing well and welcome to Popcorn Finance, the show where we discuss finance and about the time it takes to make a bag of popcorn. As always, I really appreciate you all coming back and joining me for another episode. And today, it's going to be a longer episode. I'm just going to give you a heads up right up front. It's going to be multiple bags of popcorn. As past guest Amber Holly from My Biz Bestie would say, this is probably going to be about a, about a four or five bagger <laughs> today because I had a great conversation with Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances. He's co-host half of that team there. Him and Marcus Garrett uh, do an excellent job with that podcast. And Marcus has actually been on the show before. He likes to say that he has a record for the longest episode ever on uh, Popcorn Finance. I've gone back to remeasure that to see, but I think it's pretty safe to say he's in like the top five of longest episodes ever done on, on Popcorn Finance. But today's episode is going to be a little bit longer, so I'm not going to say any Anything else? I want you to enjoy my conversation with Rich Jones from Paychecks and Balances. How's it going, Rich? It's going. Uh, it's going well, man. It is morning. I don't want to spoil too much because I don't know when this is coming out, but I will say it's morning time, and uh, we're both just sitting here looking at each other like, "You ready to do this? You ready to make it happen?" <laughs> But uh, I've been looking forward to being on the show for a while. Not that you had to have me on the show, but I know uh, when you recorded with Marcus in the past, I was walking around and exhausted. And funny, <laughs> it's the same situation, except we're sitting and I'm exhausted, but uh, I'm happy to be here, man. I oh, know. I appreciate, appreciate you being here. I'm, I'm a fan of your podcast, Paychecks and Balances, and you guys do a really great job. And one of the things I, I really enjoy about it is that even though you guys talk about personal finance, it's not just all about that. You talk a lot about career advancement and um, you've had some great guests talking about how to network and I, I've learned a lot. And, and I think one of the big things I've taken away from your show is that there's nothing wrong with having a, a day job. There's nothing wrong with, with, right. with being good at your job and using that to help yourself advance. And one of the things I love about your story, which you, you, don't, you don't share too much about, is how you know, you, you've had your, your struggles with debt like a lot of us have. And, but the way you tackled it was not going the hyper-frugal route, but being good at your job yeah. <laughs> and advancing. So, you know, just kind of give us a little background on, on, on you, your, your struggles with that, as much as you want to share, and then, you know, kind of, kind of your take on it and what you did. Yeah, uh, at first thing, uh, as it relates to the podcast, one thing we really try not to do is entrepreneur shame people or entre shame people, because right now there's all of this, this talk about entrepreneurship and everyone needs to be an entrepreneur and this, that, and the third. But you're right, like for some people working a day job, like that's just what they want to do. And that's totally fine. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's most of our audience. They're not necessarily aspiring to be entrepreneurs. They may want to do something on the side to make more money, which uh, also ties into what we're talking about today. So by day, I'm a recruiting manager at Google. Uh, by night and weekend, avid podcaster for Paychecks and Balances. I've been working in HR and recruiting for... Wow, about a decade now, which man. makes me feel quite old. You're old, man. Man, I'm, I'm 35, you know. I used to feel like I was on the, the right side of 30, but now, now I'm starting <laughs> to change my mind about that a little bit. And uh, so I'm out there in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area where there is a lot of money floating around. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to the Bay Area that I saw a Tesla, and I saw so many of them that I thought they were regularly priced cars until I went online. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I've had debt throughout my life. Uh, I had, I, I didn't have a ton in regards to student loans. I actually paid that off a, a few years ago. Mm. Uh, I went to school at Cornell university and I was able to take mm. advantage of some in-state programs. Uh, I did also do the dumb thing where I got refund checks just because and spent that money like it was free money. So I probably <laughs> could have paid off my student loan sooner uh, if that wasn't the case, but, uh, credit cards, man, I got the free Frisbee. 
Oh man, that's how they get you. <laughs> and in my debt, it's gone up and down. And I can remember in my twenties when I when I got out of school and I first and I first started working, I would put on two or three thousand dollars of debt and then I would pay it off. Mm. You know, and then I'd get six thousand dollars of debt, then I'd pay it off. But then after that, I just straight carried a balance. Yeah. And it was across multiple cards. And I would do the thing where I would pay the minimum. Even though I had more, I would still pay the minimum because I preferred to go ball out instead. Yeah. Or I would pay a big chunk and then another big chunk would be put on the card. And it wasn't even for, I couldn't even tell you half the things that were on that card beyond food, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. I, when I look back at the debt I had, I was like, I don't even have anything in this room, in this apartment that I can say, yeah, this is where that money went because I'm like, this stuff looks expensive. Yeah, I, I just it just kind of just flies out. It just next thing you know, it's a big number that that you don't want to look at. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, so for you, you 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 did something that a lot of people I think don't consider, especially because you hear, like you said, you hear all about being an entrepreneur. You got to go have your own business. You got to do all this other stuff. But for you, you were just really good at your job. Yeah, and and you you focused and hustled in that area. Now that, that was your you didn't have a you didn't take on a side hustle. You took on you just maximize your main hustle. Yeah. So I was good at my job. I'm good at my job now, but I wasn't good at every job, mm. nor that I like uh, every job. And I think part of what's really helped me over the years is my ability to look at my transferable skills and my ability to look at where I want to go next. And it's usually not where I want to go next. It's where I want to be two moves from now. Mm. So when I first got out of school, I was working for uh, a business services company, I'll call them. Uh, I was selling first aid kits. I was changing out eyewash stations. It was supposed to be a management training program. From that, I moved into sales, which sales experiences, I think, is just valuable across mm -hmm. the board. I'm an introvert, so it, it drained the, the, the life forces out of me. <laughs> I, I was going to choose a different word. And I got to a point when, uh, when I was in sales where I said, yo, this is killing me. I went to school for HR. I want to get an HR gig. Mm. But the only thing I could really get was calls back for uh, sales jobs. Mm. And so I had to say, what is it that I want to do next? And what are the in-between steps that are going to allow me to get there? So uh, I ended up going to work at a staffing agency as a headhunter because headhunter, sales, you're selling the clients, you're selling the candidates. And it's also a bit of HR in the, in the sense that it's recruiting. And I was also studying for my professional and human resources certification. So uh, making that leap allowed me to then make the leap to an HR role, which then allowed me to make the leap to a tech startup as a recruiter, which then put me in a position to get the call from Google, which is what brought me out to the uh, Bay Area. So mm. like, like that thoughtfulness, and I wasn't even so much thinking about compensation along the way, but just that thoughtfulness has allowed me to be in a situation where with each job that I, I've, I've gone to, my compensation is you know, going up significantly. You know, what I like about that, too, is that, like you said, you're thinking ahead, thinking multiple steps ahead. And I know for me, a lot of times I don't, I don't give myself time to think ahead because you just get caught in the routine. You're like, I got to go to work. I got to go home. I got to do this. I got these errands to run. I got to clean this up. And you don't have time to plan. You may want maybe like, you know, I want more money, but it doesn't just work. You can't just stay where you're at. You yeah. just say, I'm sure they'll give me more money eventually. Because <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> people, are, people don't just like to give away money. But it sounds like you were kind of, you had a, a goal in mind and you're kind of thinking a couple steps ahead. So, what can someone who's listening to this now, what can they do? Or, what, like, what's an idea you can give them as far as thinking ahead, maybe some, some processes that you had or kind of the thoughts you had in your mind as far as what you needed to do to advance your career? Yeah. So, I've talked before about using LinkedIn as a career consultant. Mm. And so, it, 
for me, I've had an idea of what I wanted to do next, or at least what I thought I wanted to do next. And one thing I would always do is go online, look at a few job descriptions, try to figure out what the transferable skills are between what I do now and what I see within that job description. But also on LinkedIn, I would go and look at people's profiles at different companies and see what track they went up. You know, where did they work before? What are they doing in the role now? Are they in the exact role that's that this job description is posted for? And I would kind of learn that way. So I'd see, okay, this person has five years of experience. Here's where they've worked before. Here are the things they've done before. How can I start to pick up that experience? So if I want to make a transition to that route, I'll already be well on my way because I'll have that skill set under my belt. So in terms of what somebody wants to do with the rest of their life, I would say for me, especially if you have folks who are listening who are in their 20s, it took me years. And quite honestly, I'm at a point now where I'm thinking about making another pivot, mm. you know? And uh, there is, I, for some people, they may have that linear career path where they do one thing for their life but for me it, it feels like it's been a squiggly line mm. even though the things that I've done have been connected and related it hasn't been linear and there's mm. been a lot of frustration and when I was an HR generalist slash recruiter at a nonprofit, like that was a job where I wasn't great like I wasn't great at it mm. and I realized that and that's part of what led me back into the tech world and working in recruiting so I'd say take note of of what excite you and take note of the things that don't excite you if the idea of work doesn't excite you you still got to get a job i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) but for me i've noticed that there are themes in terms of what i enjoy and in terms of what gives me the most happiness and satisfaction and and one of the things that i've consistently noticed over the years both inside and outside of work is is helping people And so I'm at a point now where I'm saying, what is the best way for me to put myself in a role or a position where I can help the most people directly, whether that's professionally, whether that's personally, whether that's financially. And by financially, I don't mean just giving away money, (laughs) (laughs) but how can I best do that? And that's part of the reason that we have the podcast as well. So. It, this is this is we're, this is early. We've been at this conference for a long time, so I'm not going to ask you specific statistics. But one thing I found interesting that, that you and Marcus talk about on your show is the the difference in pay changes for, or I guess like pay increases for someone who just sticks at one place and just tries to just ride it out forever versus those people who move from job to job and the um, I guess the more accelerated rate of pay increase you get by making those moves because people, you know, you're going to be set, they're only going to give you so much of a raise if you stay where you're at. So that, that I've always loved that, that, that idea because it kind of makes you think outside of the box and say, you know, maybe I should consider making these bigger moves. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that yeah, it is early, but yeah. I want to say it's something like a, a difference in $5,000 at the beginning of your career is, is worth $500,000 over the course of your career or something like that. It, it's yeah. something crazy like that. And negotiation is a big part of that. And understanding that when you are talking to a company, because I think what some people do, especially when they're desperately trying to get out of a job, and that's the other thing is I caution people about waiting until you're at the point that you hate your job, mm. because then you're essentially in a desperate position, which is always going to put you at a disadvantage because when you do get an offer, you're going to be so focused on not on trying to not mess it up that you may not even ask for as much mm. because some people will be like, oh, I want to ask for this, but I don't want them to pull the offer. And I'm like, well, the company wants you. Like they extended an offer. So it is okay to go back and negotiate. In fact, we expect you to come back and negotiate. Mm. 
But you should do your homework up front and you should have a number in mind. And when you do go into negotiation, you should go in at that high number. Mm. You know, and what I've seen work really well for people is if they say, hey, I'm really excited about this offer. I'd be willing to sign today if you're able to come back with X, whatever that number mm. is, because as a recruiter or an HR manager or whatever, you just want to like you just want to get that deal done and get that person started. So whoever the hiring manager is, is happy. Mm. So it's OK to say up front, what do I really need? What do I really want? And to ask for a number that is higher than what you need. And if it ends up coming down a little bit, that's fine. But you never know. And there are states now, and I think this is going to become more common across the country, where they can't ask you anything about your past salary history. Uh, okay. The only thing they can ask you about is your expectations. And California is one of those states where, where now we can't ask candidates about their salary history. So that is, And so I would encourage people, if possible, to try to not even get into the conversation about their past salary history. Mm. Now, I know there are some jobs and some industries where that's going to be required. It's fair and reasonable to say if someone says, well, can you tell me what you made at your last role, to start talking about your expectations and say, well, hey, based off of this role, here's what I'm expecting for this position. This is different responsibilities, different level of scope, so I'd, I'd rather not discuss my past compensation. I like that line. Now, that sounds, it sounds scary, but think about it. Think about the difference when you're in a position where you're proactively looking for a job before you've gotten to the point that you hate it versus when you're in a position where you're like, I just want to get the hell out of here mm. i have this potential opportunity on the table and i don't want to ruin it and i don't want to mess it up and and having that 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 constant worry of messing it up is is costing you money not just in the short term but also over the course of your career mm. and that could be the additional money that if you do have that could be going toward that or could be going toward savings or, or going toward whatever it is that 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 you want to have in life no i really like that because you know that is something that's like i've, I've dealt with myself is that there have been times where i've really hated my job and I needed to get out of there, but you're right. You you don't. I didn't have the, the courage to to negotiate because I was like, I just want this job. I just want to get out of here. So yeah, thank you. That's a good amount of money for me to leave. I appreciate it. Yeah. That. And then you just leave. But I, I know I left money on the table. Yeah, I've done it myself. And I remember uh, I probably shouldn't share this story, but I will. When I was leaving the job that I desperately wanted to get out of, and I got a pay increase that that felt like a pretty good pay increase, but I'd also worked in the nonprofit industry, so the pay increases aren't as significant as they are in the private sector. Mm. And so I, I negotiated a little bit, but I essentially just threw a number out there. They came back with one number. I was like, can we do this? And they came back with something that was in the middle. And I was like, sure, I'll take yeah, right. it. And then I, found, I got there and I found out I came across the information of the person who was previously in my role. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. And they were making like $20,000 more than I was. And so some of that was on me in terms of, of the research that I did for, for, for the role that I was going into. I could have asked for more. But I just said, hey, it's a big step up from where I'm, where I'm at now, but not knowing that I could have asked for more, but then also being in that desperate position where I'm like, I just want to get the heck out of here. This is more money. It's not this. Yeah. <laughs> Let me go and make it. And then even, I think, in another area where people potentially miss out on money is when they're relocating for a job. Mm. So uh, Bay Area tech jobs typically come with bigger salaries, but it's also a lot more expensive to live out there. Yeah. And so I remember when I got my offer, I was like, yo, this is a huge increase. And on a dollar value basis, it was a, a very big increase. But when I got out there and saw how much I had to pay for rent, mm. 
when uh, I went from using public transit to having to drive to work and spending an hour commuting each way, those costs started to add up. And while it was an increase and the quality of my life did increase, it wasn't as much as I thought it was going to be. So it's really important for people when they're relocating to make sure that they get a good understanding of the cost of living because it might sound like a huge number. And then you get there and you realize that you're actually taking a step back. It happens all, and it happens all the time. Even with candidates that we negotiate with, they get out there and they're, and they're moving from Texas or some other state where they have a gigantic house uh, and they're paying, you know, fifteen hundred a month in, <laughs> or, in rent or for a mortgage. And then they get out to the Bay Area. The space is half that. And now they're paying three thousand dollars and they're yeah. like, what the heck? Yeah. So. Yeah. Even within the negotiation for out-of-state roles, it might seem like you're asking for a crazy number, but if that's reflective of the cost of living and that's what you need to ask for, make the ask. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not you're going to be disappointed when you get there. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Richard, I, I really appreciate you coming in and sharing this advice because I think this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot and a lot of us don't know about. So I think it's good to have these open conversations about it to kind of get the info out there. And yeah. Where else can they get more information from you and Marcus and all the things you guys are doing over there, Paychecks and Balances? Yep. So uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at I am Rich Jones. Keep it nice and simple uh, to follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It is at Pay Balances and on Facebook at Paychecks and Balances. And you can find everything about us at paychecksandbalances.com. We're on Apple Podcast and everywhere else you can play shows. So uh, looking forward to hearing from folks. Happy to answer questions. And yeah, really appreciate you having me on, man. It's been a great time. I oh, know. No, I'm happy to have you. It's, it's cool having you on because I was a fan of your podcast before I even started this one. So it's an honor to have you on here and talk with you for a little bit. Yeah, no doubt, man. Ball-headed brothers unite. That's right. <laughs> All right, man. Have a safe flight back. All right. Thanks, man. Your boy keep it poppin' like Mary Poppins.